You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Marty Abadi. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I and many other undergraduates have been very appalled to find out that as our tuition is increased every year, none of it goes to graduate workers. Later in the program, we have Strike Mike, voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of their strike against Indiana University. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Bloomington City Council continues its conversation of increasing the local income tax. That's coming up next in your daily headlines. The Bloomington City Council continued discussing the local income tax at their Committee of the Whole meeting on April 13th. Mayor John Hamilton presented on the proposed local income tax increase. He explained that the increase in revenue from the local income tax would fund four categories, public safety, climate change preparedness and mitigation, equity and quality of life for all, and essential city services. I appreciate very much your consideration and collaboration on this really important issue to move us forward. We have followed your suggestions of the past couple of years by, uh, in this process, beginning our work not with a particular rate, but by identifying the needs of the community uh, and how to meet those needs and then calculating an ED-lit local income tax rate that allows us to meet those needs. I will briefly summarize the proposal for you and the public watching, then again hear from our controller and our corporate counsel to outline basic financial and procedural points. We're proposing new revenue based on four categories, four buckets, if you will, of critical community needs. Two buckets focus on present pressing needs for city government directly to serve our residents, public safety and essential services. Public safety needs include salary costs under the recently negotiated Fraternal Order of Police contingent contract, as well as supportive services and critical facility upgrades for fire and police. Essential service needs include clear pressures to increase support for all our other city personnel, as well as deferred and ongoing basic maintenance needs and very real cost increases for supplies and services as well as inexorable revenue declines in certain areas. Two of the buckets focus on meeting critical future community needs, climate change and equity and quality of life. Regarding the emergency of climate change and the need to mitigate, adapt, and develop resilience, we are proposing significant enhancements to our state-leading public transit system, as well as dedicated annual funding 
to implement our progressive climate action plan. Regarding equity and quality of life, we are proposing significant investments in improving access to safe and quality housing across our city, both ownership and rental, as well as helping people access good jobs and continuing traditional support for our arts and local food sectors. Finally, we are earmarking funds to help those taxpayers who may face challenges from the lit itself, an economic equity fund to support those in need. City Controller Jeff Underwood warned that the budget is scrupulous as it is, and without adding additional revenue, they might be forced to make budget cuts they don't want to make. We don't have a lot of disposable costs that we can get rid of that you would be happy that we would get rid of, and those would be the forward-facing, outward programs that we go to help the public with. Beyond that, then we're looking at personnel. And I, I don't want to sound alarmist, but it's true. We have to look at that. And the most valuable resource that we have are people. And we have increasingly seen that we're no longer able to operate like government did 20 years ago. 20 years ago, government's benefits were by far the best that we had that could be offered in public or private. And the benefit of longevity with it allowed us to pay a lesser amount. But everyone's caught up with us, and those benefits are equal or better than what we, we can do anymore. And we're seeing people get uh, pulled away for better paying jobs across every function inside the city. So that structural need to fund our budget, to keep good people, to be competitive, to attract the best and the brightest to come work in city government, because there's a lot of reasons people don't want to do that anymore. It's been called the great exodus, is we have to have the ability to pay those people and to fund their operations. And I would uh, ask you uh, to, to approve uh, this increase. And none of us take it lightly, uh, lightly to ask you for that. So thank you. Council member Isabel Piedmont Smith asked how the economic equity fund would be distributed. Mayor Hamilton responded. I think the first thing I would say is that it begins that economic equity fund as a statement of commitment and intention to, to state that when we do put a tax increase in place, we are going to earmark and identify in this proposal in front of you a million dollars to do that kind of um, support. We don't, we don't have an exact program. We're happy to work with you on that. We're looking at things like potential individual development accounts, which can be a, it's a long-standing program used around the country to help people save uh, matching savings. We would look to coordinate with the Community Action Program Agency, the United Way Agency, Jap Hawkins Funds. There's a lots of options for that. And we're willing uh, and, and very eager to look at exactly the most effective way to do it. But what we're doing with this is stating that at least this part of the tax increase would be dedicated to that purpose. And we'll do whatever works uh, best in terms of accomplishing that. Piedmont Smith said that she is still concerned that constituents won't know how to access the funds, even if they are set aside. I guess when I talk with people who are worried about their household budget because of this increase, it's hard for me to say, well, we have a million dollars and it'll help you, you know, without knowing how is it going to help them. Council member Jim Sims was in favor of increasing the local income tax and said that he thinks the council will be able to reach a consensus on the amount. 
and, and if we keep talking, I think we'll be able to uh, do a package I think we can all live with, I hope so. I'd also like to hear other things later, uh, a little bit more later about the Green River panel and where that still might fit. Is that here or is that funded from some things we've already approved or, um, I wanna support, I do support climate initiatives and climate change and that sort of thing. But I am convinced that if we don't broaden our scope and, and make it more of a regional um, effort, then a lot of the things that we're gonna do is just for naught. I mean, we'll, we'll like ourselves, we'll be great because we've done all this. But outside of that scope, what did we really do? So I'm not so sure what we can do, but I do know that we can begin conversations. We can use that green panel um, committee to, to, to extend. Um, we just put another position in ESD, and I think we'll utilize that for some of those same purposes. But that's what I wanna hear moving forward. Um, how do we broaden, in particular with climate change, um, and some of those initiatives? The council will have a public hearing on the local income tax on April 20th. At the Blooming Utilities Service Board meeting on April 11th, Jane Flagg, an assistant director of engineering, Brad Schroeder, presented on behalf of utilities engineer Jane Flagg, who was unable to present due to technical difficulties. This is a contract with Donahue and Associates to go in and inspect uh, the culvert. This was actually the culvert that was replaced back in the 2003 project. We're getting failure of concrete and exposed rebar underneath the culvert. So we need Donahue to go in and do a structural inspection of that and see what kind of repairs are necessary to do. So uh, Donahue is the original designer and they're able to do the inspection. So that's what this contract's about. Board member Amanda Burnham asked if the inspection would require any street closures. Schroeder said that the inspection would take place underground, so no street closures would be necessary. Board member Megan Parmenter asked about how long the culvert should have lasted in an ideal scenario, and if there was any warranty on it, Schroeder responded. No, so, we shouldn't be, and what? that's hopefully what we'll learn from this also a little bit, and so we can prevent it. Yeah, I mean, the culvert that we're, this is just upstream from the large culvert we're replacing now. That was mm -hmm. kind of phase one, we're into the next phase. The one we're replacing is what, 50, 70 years old. I mean, they're expected to last, yeah, really a long time. So. Part of this is we'll try to understand why it's. Failing. I guess is there any kind of liability on that, or like a, you know, if it fails within so many years, it goes back on. Oh, on the contract, not at or this anything point. like that. Yeah, okay. no, we're beyond that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The board unanimously voted to approve the agreement with Donahue and Associates. The next meeting will be held on April twenty-fifth. Earlier today, Indiana grad workers voted on whether to continue their strike into a second week. 967 voted yes to continuing, and 27 voted no, a 97.3% majority affirming the struggle. The strike is now authorized to last through April 27th, when another vote will take place unless the administration agrees to negotiations. Hundreds of people turned out to picket lines yesterday and today as well. Today on Strike Mike, we are airing audio from yesterday morning's picket line rally at Sample Gates. 
undergraduates spoke out in solidarity with their grad instructors, while grad workers contributed their perspectives on the role of graduate labor in the university. This segment was produced in collaboration with Jeremy Hogan of the Bloomingtonian. We turn now to Strike Mike. I'd like to talk about how it will benefit undergraduates, and I would like to talk about what the university has done so far. I and many other undergraduates have been very appalled to find out that as our tuition is increased every year, None of it goes to graduate workers. The salary of President Witten is over $650,000 a year as a base salary, and the provost's base salary is over $400,000. I and other first-generation low-income students struggle to pay this tuition every year, and our families have to make severe sacrifices to make those ends meet. Despite this, this money does not go. This money does not go to the people who educate us. Last week, the a provost sent out an email in which he said that this strike is unacceptable and does not reflect the academic community that we strive to create at IU. I'd like to ask you all and the provost, what kind of academic community do we strive to create here? Is it one where our teachers cannot afford to pay their rent or medical bills? Is it one where the people who make this university function are the least appreciated? This ongoing strike has actually brought many undergraduates and I together with graduate workers, and I feel that we have built this kind of community that the provost values so highly. The Dean of the College and Arts of Science has also shamefully asked us to turn against our graduate workers and to report them for striking. I think that's quite gross. It is very clear to me that this strike will directly benefit undergraduates because it puts our tuition dollars back into the classroom. I support the ongoing efforts of the Indiana University's graduate workers because my tuition money does not provide for adequate funding for the conditions of graduate workers. As a low-income student, I have struggled at this university in ways that the higher-income students have not. Last semester, I took a course in the education department with PhD student Amina Long. Um, if you see this, hi. <laughs> I was a first semester freshman and I was struggling in my classes because I didn't have much guidance. She assured me that it was okay and that I one day would be in graduate school as she was because she was also in my spot as a low income first generation student. And she taught me and she taught me so many things that gave me hope and that helped to guide me through my first year. Throughout this first year, the people who have helped me most through my adversities are graduate workers, not the administration. Thank you, I'd like to pass it to Sid. Okay, my name is Sid and I'm a junior studying environmental science and Spanish here at IU as an undergraduate student. So there are many reasons why undergraduates are showing up for the graduate workers' strike, but I also want to focus on one of the most unifying reasons, which is that our tuition money is not going into our classrooms by not paying the graduate ins worker instructors a living wage at IU. <laughs> Throughout my time at IU so far, I've had multiple classes that have been led entirely by graduate worker instructors. As I'm sure a lot of undergraduates here have, 
given that graduate workers teach around 20% of the undergraduate classes at IU. I've seen the impacts of IU's I've seen the impacts of IU's lack of a living wage for graduate workers in all my classes, but especially within the Spanish department. It's already difficult learning a new language in a classroom setting alone, but when the graduate worker instructors are teaching these classes, <laughs> but when the graduate worker instructors teaching these classes have to teach multiple sections of the same class, holding office hours for all these sections, grading all of our work, practicing all of our exams, and holding office hours for all of these classes as well. And on top of that, having to find one, two, three other jobs in order to be able to pay rent or afford healthcare, um, this shows that IU does not value our education. By not providing our instructors a living wage, IU has shown that they would rather um, put our increasing tuition money into their own pockets rather than the classrooms that they promise a high quality education in for the undergraduate students. There have been many classes where undergraduates have not been able to receive um, helpful feedback on our assignments or at the end of the course to see how, what we've actually learned throughout the semester. And we know that this is because of the IE administration's policies of not paying the graduate workers a living wage. By recognizing a union and by undergraduates supporting the graduate workers' union, we are showing that we want a high-quality education and that the, conditions, the working conditions of the graduate workers is tied to our educational experience. So we demand that our increasing tuition goes into our education by going to the graduate workers as a living wage and not into the pockets of those who are increasing our tuition every year. Good afternoon, folks. My name is Jackson Bell. I'm a sophomore undergrad here at IU who's been helping out with the union since around October. I want to talk to you today about how IU has made my education worse because they don't want to pay my instructors what they deserve. I study at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Every day I walk past a sign declaring that O'Neill is the number one rated school for their public affairs program. But I ask, how can we be the best when we don't treat those delivering that number one education like human beings? I pay exorbitant tuition, but so little of it is going into the people teaching in those number one rated classrooms. I am ashamed every time I walk past that sign and think about how my instructors have had to take second, even third jobs just to make ends meet. When my professors can't get my intern back to me because they're busy donating plasma to grade that week, I'm embarrassed by that number one sign that the administration proudly displays. My tuition has been skyrocketing, but none of that has been ending up in the classroom. That tuition can and should be used to pay a living wage. IU administration has said instead, it's going out to around half a million dollar checks to the IU admin who contribute nothing to my undergrad ed experience. Those who make... Those who make myself proud to be called a Hoosier are the faculty, the grad workers, and the students who make up IU. And when we stand united, IU does not function. Because who runs IU? We run IU! 
I am embarrassed and ashamed of how the university has irresponsibly allocated its money. IU has a $3 billion endowment and is lying through its teeth when it says it cannot afford to give wages to some of the hardest workers at this university. The university is trying to divide undergrads and grads, but that will not work. I stand united with every grad worker in their fight to make sure the money I pay IU to educate me is going to my educators first and foremost. If IU is truly worried about my classes being canceled, there is an easy solution, and that is to recognize this union. I am inspired by all of you every day, and thank you guys. I'll be on the picket line until we win this fight. You're currently listening to Strike Mike, voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of the latest strike against Indiana University. The audio you're listening to was gathered by Jeremy Hogan of the Bloomingtonian. This comes from yesterday's morning picket line rally at the Sample Gates on IU Bloomington's campus. We now turn back to the second half of Strike Mike. My name is Tess Given, and I'm a graduate worker in the English department here. And I am so happy and proud, if a little excited, to be out here today with all of you. That's my grad workers. That's my undergraduate colleagues. And that's the faculty and staff who are here supporting us too. And we are all here today because we love our jobs, we love our coworkers, and we love our undergraduates. I came to IU because it gave me the chance to grow as an intellectual, but also because it gave me the chance to grow as a teacher. I speak for all my colleagues when I say we believe in undergraduate education and we have spent our time here working to grow and support each other and our students in making our classrooms the best they can be. We are what makes IU great. I would say we work tirelessly, but I know that's not true. Most of the people I know, myself included, work, our, work themselves to the bone to make sure that we do right by our students. It's, be, woo! it's because we believe that that's what our students deserve. When the pandemic came, graduate workers took it on full force. We are the face and the heart of undergraduate education here. We worked and continue to work to support our students intellectually, emotionally, and logistically beyond the call of duty, and certainly beyond the call of exploitative contracts and an administration that considers us merely students. At best, the administration says that teaching is a part-time job as if it's a gig that just keeps us busy. Whether we're instructors of record, discussion section leaders, graders, or something else, I know that teaching is anything but part-time. 
We are excellent because we take our teaching seriously, because we treat it not as a side hustle, but as a chance to meaningfully help our students grow and to grow ourselves. That's why I'm here today. I'm fighting so that I can continue to give my students the education they deserve. They came to a world-class institution and that reputation comes from us, but it can no longer come at our expense. I'm on strike because I want to teach, because I love teaching, and because I cannot support an institution that structurally prohibits me and my colleagues from doing our jobs to the degree of excellence we know we're capable of. Our students are not cash cows, and we are not expendable. I echo my colleagues up here when I say that if IU actually cared for its undergrads, it would support unionization because it would enable us as primary undergraduate instructors to provide the education that is central to the university's mission. To our students, our supporters, our colleagues. Thank you, keep it up, and we can't wait to see you back in class. All right, uh, we're excited to have an another undergraduate speaker. This is Sim Cloyd, a freshman undergraduate. Thanks so much, Sim. Okay. Hi. Hi, my name is Sim Cloyd. I'm a freshman in the College of Arts and Sciences. I am studying English with a concentration career writing, minors in theater and drama and gender studies. I am here today because I am so embarrassed what's happening. Our graduate, our graduate students are not making enough stipends to make a living, are not making a living wage to live here in Bloomington. The best classes I have taken here have been led by grad students. I want to shout out Olivia Adams, Marina Mecknam, Noelle Wheeler. I want to shout out Carly Morris, who is still teaching. I love you. I want to shout out everyone who cannot be out here today because they are scared. Because they are scared because they are scared they're going to get fired. But they love this union. They love this school. I love this school, and I am embarrassed. I want, I want to shout out Rose Zinnia, who has, who has pushed my writing to places it could never be today. I want to be in the creative writing MFA program, and I want to be able to push, my, to push myself. But I will not do that. I will not do that if I can't make a living wage. It doesn't even make sense. IU says that we are the best. IU says that we are the that we are Hoosiers. We are the best school in Indiana, and that is false. That is false. If you if we cannot make a living wage, if if we have to go on strike to make money, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. So I say to everyone watching, I say to parents at home, I say to students who aren't here, I say to grad students who cannot be here, I say, we stand with you. We all stand with you. I am amazed by all of you here right now. I will be here every day, like all of us. I will be here every day until IU recognizes us. Thank you. All right, let's give it up for our speakers. Thank you again so much. 
Again, this is not a small movement. This is not a small group of people. This is the entire campus community coming together to say graduate worker pay, graduate worker conditions are everyone's conditions on campus. And we are all stronger when graduate workers are stronger. So who runs this union? We run this union. What do we want? A union. When do we want it? Now. Let's get this. That was Strike Mike, Voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. To find a complete archive of our coverage on the student-led strike, visit WFHB.org following this broadcast. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Jeremy Hogan, Hugh Farrell, and Kate Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Marty Abadi. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB.